Good morning, everybody. So let's sit in the room with all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. So visualize them in front. If you're sitting in a room full of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and you're surrounded by all sentient beings who want to be happy and don't want to suffer, are you going to be angry? Are you going to be thinking about what you want and what you don't want? What you like and what you don't like? Think about it. Yeah, if you visualize all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in the space in front of you, and you think that you're sitting in their presence, is this how you're going to look at them? With anger, with demanding that you have your way? With fear? with craving. What kind of mind do you want to have sitting in a room full of holy beings with all the sentient beings around you, supporting you, wanting you to progress along the path too? So step up to the plate and remember you're a Dharma practitioner and generate the kind of motivation that is appropriate for you without letting your mind get caught up in all sorts of self-centered thoughts. So think of how sometimes the mind gets very tight with anger, with anxiety, with fear, whatever. And then the the mind gets very demanding. Things have got to be like this. And then we try and rearrange the external world and insist to other people that our way of arranging all the plastic duckies in the bathtub has got to be the way that it's done. So we've all been in that mental state before. 
So think of a time when you had it. And what is unrealistic about that mental state? And what is not beneficial about letting the mind abide in that mental state? Or is it really quite reasonable? So pick a couple of situations where that's happened to you and you've done stuff like that and and really consider. Is my response reasonable? Is it beneficial? And then look at the other people in the situation that you were thinking about. And look at them as sentient beings who want to be happy just like you. And look at them as people who have been your kind and protective mother in previous lives. somebody who you loved and who loved you. So change how you're looking at that person and see if your mind also changes. And then recall your fortune at meeting the Dharma and your commitment to using that fortune and generate the aspiration to attain full awakening for the benefit of those very people that you started the meditation off being anxious about or angry at or like that. So this is is uh, it's a challenging thing. We're dealing with the.
topic of uh, fortitude. Yeah, how to endure, uh, how to not get bummed out about suffering. Yeah, because suffering is uh, part of the nature of samsara, isn't it? We're always going to encounter it, and we can't go dictating to the world how it should change so that we don't encounter it, even though we sure try to dictate to the world, don't we? Yeah, anything that I don't like, it should be banned. So I thought I'd tell you a couple of stories. When I was a campfire girl, yeah, then we had to go sell cookies. Yeah. And I thought selling cookies was really cool. I liked eating them too. Uh, but one time, I was very young at the time, maybe, I don't know, eight, nine, something. Um, and so, you know, you, there's an adult out by the street, but you go alone to the door and ring the bell. And so I rang uh, one person's bell. All the other houses had been fine. I rang one person's bell, and somebody opens it, and out rushes this little chihuahua dog who bites my ankle. <laughs> yeah. And, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? It's like, and it really scared me, you know? And then it bit my ankle, too. That didn't feel so good. Um, and so, uh, for a while, I really wanted to stay away from little dogs. We had a big dog at home, a big German shepherd that other people were afraid of. I was not afraid of big dogs. You, you see me with the big dogs down the road? I love those dogs. So I didn't want to go near the chihuahuas anymore. <laughs> um, you know, my mom, she would push me to do things I didn't want to do. And so, you know, I can't remember the situation that well, but I can certainly imagine myself saying, I don't want to go to anybody else's door because they may have a chihuahua that's going to rush out and bite me. You know, like now that that happened once, and I don't know how many times I had doorbells I had rang, I was anticipating it was going every house was going to have a chihuahua. And uh, uh, my mom wouldn't let me get away with stuff. And also, I had a responsibility to the whole troop of campfire girls. Everybody else was going out. So I had to continue to sell my campfire girls cookies, you know. And it was good, you know. I'm not afraid of little dogs now. Um, but it, it was the kind of situation where I... I you know, instantly it was like, and then, no, it's, this was just one dog, you know, not every dog's like this. Um, yeah, little dogs. Yeah, I was very specific, little dogs. Yeah, medium-sized dogs, big-sized dogs, they were okay. Then, another situation, okay, so, uh, so everybody knows I do prison work, and I go into prisons, and I talk to people, and I meet people, and I correspond with them, and I get to know them. And uh, one time I was going to one city to teach in a Dharma center, and one man who uh, I had met, 
you know, when he was incarcerated, was out. And he was uh, also, you know, kind of, he hadn't been out for so long, but he was starting to go to the Dharma Center. And so uh, he was staying, he was living at his parents' house. And uh, he said, you know, would you like to come and, and stay at my parents' house? And, uh, you know, and I knew him. And so I said, yes. And I trusted him. And so, uh, you know, and I met his I met his family. I don't know. Maybe that was the first time I met his family. Yeah, maybe it was. Anyway, so we're there. And, and so I go to bed at night. And then I think, you know, and his room is like across the hall. You know, it's a family house. So, and I thought, oh, he was in prison for rape. And then when I thought he was in prison for rape, oh, my God, my room's across from his. And then I thought, but I know him well. He's my friend. And nothing's going to happen. And then I relaxed and went to sleep. So it was a really interesting experience for me because the external situation didn't have happen, didn't change at all. Not at all. You know, he was in his room, I was in my room. The moment I put the label of he he was locked up for rape, then my mind starts making up stories, okay? And, you know, the mind makes up stories. And, oh, this is dangerous, this is insane. Oh, what am I doing here? And then the moment I said, but I know him, and I trust him, and he's my friend. Yeah? And then I relaxed, and I went to sleep and slept until the next morning. So it only took a matter of minutes, I mean, because I picked up on, you know, when my mind started thinking that, I, you know, it was quite obvious. So I didn't sit there and dwell on it very much, but I instantly went to, but he's my friend, and I know him, and I trust him. If I didn't, I wouldn't have accepted to stay at the family house, Yeah. So uh, so these kinds of things, you know, we all have situations like this. But it's really good to remember to, to ask ourselves, is, you know, when we get angry, when we get anxious, is, is this realistic? Is this beneficial? And is this, this actually, when I say, is it realistic? Am I really seeing the situation accurately? Or on the basis of one experience or one thought about among, you know, 5,000, am I going to impute on this situation something that is not there? In the same way, we've all had experiences where we meet somebody new and they remind us of somebody we knew in the past who we didn't like or didn't get along with. You had that experience? Yeah? And so even though it's a totally new person, they look, you know, they wear the same kind of glasses as somebody in the past who we didn't get along with 
or they have the same kind of nose or they wear the same kind of some small thing. And immediately our mind imputes on them all of the feelings that were probably, you know, well, were aversion feelings from a situation and a person that we knew maybe many, many years ago. And here's this new person, and all of a sudden, we're imputing that stuff on them. Okay. Now, how would you feel if somebody looked at you and thought, oh, uh, they, they, re- they remind me of somebody I know who I didn't get along with, and impute all of their fears, anxieties, dislike on top of you, even though they didn't know you. Yeah. <coughs> then what? Are we? I'm, I'm sure it's happened before that other people have imputed that on on me. I'm not usually aware of it. Yeah. But if somebody were to say, you know, I just got to tell you, you remind me of somebody I met way back, uh, you know, ten years ago who was so obnoxious and bossy and I couldn't stand her. (laughs) Hi, nice to meet you. I'm glad you feel that way about me. You know, but I'm not that person. I'm somebody else. You know, how about giving me a chance? I think, you know, I used to have trouble with the Zen slogan, you know, Zen mind, beginner mind. But now I understand it. It's like, you know, why are we carrying all of our misconceptions from the past with us, seeing the present through all of that mess when we could look at it with a beginner's mind and give other people a chance and be happy ourselves you know, it's like every day, if, if you had a bad experience one day when it was cloudy or, you know, uh, or, oh, the days when it's really smoky, yeah, super smoke, and you feel like, Bleh, and then you wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, it's starting to get smoky again, like this morning, you know, it's like, oh, it's starting to get smoky again. And automatically, oh, it's so awful. I feel terrible already. (laughs) You know? And, you know, how smoky was it this morning? I looked at the AQI. It wasn't bad. Yeah. It wasn't horrible like it is, you know, when it's really smoky. So it's like, Okay, don't impute from a situation in the past onto the present situation. Yeah. So, you know, that's this is is kind of what's going on in this chapter is it's telling us, you know, every time we're upset or angry, yeah, we are not seeing the situation realistically. Yeah, we are imputing something 
on the situation that isn't there. Okay, so we need to have that in our mind. The moment I am upset, I am angry, I am not seeing things correctly. One. And I'm not seeing things beneficially because when I don't see things correctly, then I don't behave in an appropriate way around them. And then I get all other people all riled up because I'm, you know, I'm acting like I would act in a different situation in this situation. Yeah. And that's going to affect the people around me too. Yeah. So to be able to catch it when it's small and just say, you know, okay, you know, let's come back. What is happening in the present? You know, the present is not the past. And then, you know, you look at one of the verses in. In Shanti Deva chapter six. This is why it's a very long chapter. Okay. Because he gives us so many ways to work with our mind by looking at the situation in a different way. So the fact that the antidotes are to look at the situation in a different way is indicating that the way we look at it when we are angry and upset is not accurate, is not realistic. Okay. If it were realistic, Shantideva wouldn't give us a bunch of unrealistic ways to look at it. Shantideva's not looking to whitewash things, you know, or distort things. He's trying to help us look at things through a Dharma perspective. Yeah. And so to to you know notice that and try it. And at the beginning, sometimes it's very hard to look at the situation in a different way because we are so locked in to our usual ways of doing things and thinking. Yeah, that make us totally miserable. Okay, so we have to remember, you know, our usual way of thinking makes us miserable and we don't want to be miserable. So let's try looking at some of these situations in a different way. Yeah? Otherwise, you know, we're going to go through our whole lives just being miserable. (laughs) Yeah? So who needs that? And then uh, I, I really like that verse. Have, it's so much in my mind. I don't know if we've come to it yet, where he talks about you can either, um, uh, you know, try and get rid of all the thorns in the world, or you can wear shoes. Yeah. So it's like we haven't come to it yet. Huh? Yeah. But it, I mean, that one's just really implanted in my mind. Yeah. It's like okay. You can, tr- you can pave the whole earth, you know, put concrete and asphalt over everything, or you can wear a pair of shoes. Yeah. So am I going to try and put 
asphalt and concrete over everything because I want it that way. Yes, I'm going to do that, right? Yeah, you nodded your head. Yeah, you and I together, we'll go make sure. Yeah, forget big business. We'll do it ourselves. Or are we going to put on shoes? Are we going to protect our own mind? Or are we going to insist that the world change and try and make it change? Which was what, what we've been doing since beginningless time, and we haven't succeeded yet. And we're never going to succeed because it's impossible. Yeah. How's it possible? Yeah. How's it possible? That every we never encounter any encounter anybody who drives us crazy. Yeah. We never encounter any situations that we feel uncomfortable in. That's that's what the Buddha's family tried to do with him. That's why they kept him locked in the palace and wouldn't let him out. And he snuck out because he said, I know something. I'm not seeing reality here in this palace. Yeah. So, okay. So we've been, uh, last week, we were talking a lot about, um, he was using the warrior um, analogy, okay, which some people like and some people don't like, but even if you don't like it, you, it, you can see how it makes sense, okay? So some, when they see their own blood, become especially brave and steady. So there's a difficult situation. They plant their feet on the ground and they say, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to, you know. And other people, when they see the blood of others, in other words, they haven't even been hurt, but they see somebody else who has a paper cut and they collapse. They faint and fall unconscious and they can't function. Okay. So which kind of person are we going to be? <laughs> yeah. So, so then Shanti Deva says, these reactions come from the mind. Yeah. Being either steady or timid. The mind being either steady or timid. Therefore, I should disregard harms caused to me and not be affected by suffering. Okay. So some people, they see, you know, the inside of, you know, like a little bit of blood. They, they faint, you know, like they faint. Now, what would happen if Venerable Jigme were like that? Yeah? Or, or, or if our other nurse, yeah? If, if um, not yet Venerable Stacy <laughs> felt like that. Okay, so we go into the hospital and we need medical care, and you know uh, we we cut something, and then Venerable Jigme walks in and she just 
<laughs> on the floor. And then Stacy walks in. She faints on top of her. <laughs> okay? So, you know, is, is that going to work? When, when you know, our, our minds just get so panicked, you know, that we, yeah, that we faint. Yeah. Yeah, we can make some really good skits out of chapter six, couldn't we? <laughs> okay. So, uh, stanza 19, we're reviewing here. Even when the wise are suffering, their minds remain very lucid and undefiled. I like that. Even when you're suffering, yeah, you're not whacked out. You're not screaming hysterically. Okay? The mind is like lucid and undefiled and observing the situation and thinking of how to deal with it in a constructive way. Yeah? Instead of, ah, 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 ah. did I scare you? <laughs> That's how you wake people up when they faint. <laughs> did, I, did I wake you up after you fainted? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I like that, you know, training the mind so that when there's an emergency, when there's something happening, I mean, you're angry, you're upset, you're afraid, you instantly go into having a, a lucid, undefiled mind that can stand there. You don't have to react that very moment. Stand there and think, what is the most effective way to deal with this? Okay. And Shanti Deva continues, for when war is being waged against the disturbing conceptions, much harm is caused at the time of battle. So what that means is when our old habits are manifest and going on and creating this whole scene, okay, we, we are waging battle against all that habitual junk. And it's hard, you know, because we say, we may say to ourselves, oh, I'm projecting something from the past. Oh, that doesn't matter. It's still dangerous. <laughs> okay. You know, like my, my cashmere sweater story. Why was it so hard to give that sweater away? Because all my stuff from the past was coming. Yeah. And if I give it, I won't have it, and I won't be able to get another one, and I'm going to freeze to death because I'm sure in Donetsk there's no other, nobody else has extra jackets, and you know, and it's going to be ten below, and you know, it was fine in Donetsk. The weather was fine. Yeah, I wouldn't have needed the sweater anyway. You know, but you create this whole scene. And then to, to say to yourself, calm down for a minute. You know, that's hard 
because we, we have to really fight that habitual tendency. And it's so much easier just to go along with it and be miserable and make everybody else miserable. Of course, the, uh, the people I shared the, the compartment with, so I was traveling with the translator. On the way to Donetsk, I think it was okay. On the way back from Donetsk, yeah? So just in case, I, you know, I was coughing a little bit, I think, or something. Yeah, so we were sharing the compartment with two, two Ukrainian men, yeah? So... We woke up in the morning. I start doing my prayers. Maybe I was coughing, and so the the men said, um, "Oh, we have something very good if you're if you're uh, getting sick." And <laughs> <laughs> what? That's exactly it. <laughs> and they pulled out a bottle of vodka, <laughs> and it was the first thing they drank in the morning, and they wanted me to have some. And it was so sweet. They really meant well. I mean, they were practicing generosity. <laughs> you know, and I tried to explain, no, 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 I don't drink, and I'm okay. It's nothing serious. No, please have some of this. You'll feel very good. <laughs> yeah. And they kept at it. They really did. You know, I mean, the translator, too, said, she's okay, you know. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> but telling them to drink to stop their habit? Yeah. So this is what that line means, you know, to break our old habits. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of stick to itness. Then verse 20, the victorious warriors are those who, having disregarded all suffering, vanquish the foes of hatred and so forth. Common warriors slay only corpses. Now imagine a battlefield and somebody going around and uh, killing corpses. Ridiculous, isn't it? Okay, so the victorious warriors, the ones whose dharma practice is going to go ahead, okay, have been able to disregard all suffering. That doesn't mean that they pretend that, you know, they broke their leg, and uh, but their leg isn't broken, or that, you know, their stomach hurts and they pretend their stomach doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that. It means they recognize what's going on, but they aren't overwhelmed by the situation. Okay? So what they're disregarding is their habitual tendency to freak out in one way or another. Okay? So the victorious warriors are those who, having disregarded all their old habits that are drive, you know, going to make them act and think inappropriately and be miserable. Those people who confront that stuff in their own mind, 
They're the ones who vanquish the foes of hatred and so forth. Okay. When you vanquish the foe of hatred, yeah, your mind is peaceful. And you can look at sentient beings and not tense up. Yeah, and the people that you used to look at like this, now you can look at with an open mind and maybe talk to them and maybe pet the chihuahua next time you see a chihuahua. Okay? So you start to be able to train the mind to respond differently. And if we don't do that, it's like somebody who's slaying corpses. It's, you know, you've already gone into your old your old habit thing, and so that's like a corpse, and you drag it around with you. Okay. 21. Furthermore, suffering has good qualities. What? What is he saying? Suffering has good qualities. There's nothing good about suffering. Suffering should be banished. I can't stand it. The world is mean to me when I suffer. He's saying suffering has good qualities. Okay. What are the good qualities? First of all, through being disheartened with it, arrogance is dispelled. So sometimes we're kind of arrogant, just a little bit. You know? Like, I'm young. I don't look like those people. I'm healthy. Uh, I'm not like those people. I use mouthwash. I don't have bad breath like those people. Yeah. All the ways that we put ourselves above everybody else. Yeah. When we're suffering, we're, you know... We're in no mood to be arrogant, (laughs) are we? When we're suffering, that's the time when we really need help. Yeah? Arrogant people do not like to acknowledge they need help. Because they know everything already. So when they suffer, their arrogance goes down, which is something good for all of us. Because in one way or another, we all get arrogant over different things, but we all have arrogance. And when we're suffering, difficult to hold ourselves above everybody else because we very clearly need help. Hmm? And acknowledging that we need help Ooh, for some people that's so difficult. I am independent. I can figure everything out. I can do it myself. I know almost everything. I don't need help with anything. Yeah. And then to admit, uh, actually... uh, how do you turn this on? I don't see the button. <laughs> you ever had that happen to you? There's some appliance you're supposed to use. You don't know where you can't find the on button. And you feel like an idiot. And maybe we are. 
And can we laugh at ourselves at that time? Or do we sit there pressing everything? (laughs) Nothing gets the thing working, but we will not go ask for help. Have you ever been in a car driving somewhere? This was before GPS, where the person would not stop and ask directions when they were lost. Isn't that a pleasure? (laughs) I can't tell you how many times that happened to me when I'm traveling, you know, and I'm like traveling from one place to another all day on the plane, and I'm like exhausted and hungry. And of course, people don't come, people think that you've eaten on the airplane. Yeah. Why would they think that when they don't serve any food? So they don't bring food, so you're hungry. And then they're taking you somewhere, you know, and they're they're clearly lost, and they will not stop and ask for directions. They go round and around and around. Please, can we stop? There's a gas station here. And let's... No, no, I know where we're at. I know where we're at. It's just around the corner. We'll be there in two minutes. (laughs) Okay, so suffering, we, we can't be arrogant like that, can we? You know, we have to admit that we're not who we think we are. So it's that's a good quality when our arrogance is dispelled. That's good. Another good quality of of suffering, compassion, arises for those in cyclic existence. Okay, when you're sick, then you think of all the other sentient beings who have the same illness. Okay. Whether it's physical illness, mental illness, or an accident, You know, you think of all the other sentient beings who have had that, or who have it now, and who have it worse than you have it. And, you know, and compassion can arise, because now we understand the situation of those people. And compassion is really uh, the key here to harmony. I mean, in in this country, like the whole thing with immigrants, if people could have the experience of growing up in another country where their life is in danger, they would have more compassion for people who want to immigrate here and who show up at the border. I've always thought if American youth could go and spend some time in other countries, this country would be very different. Yeah. Okay, so it helps develop compassion for other people. And then also, because we realize that our suffering is due to our own negative karma, yeah, that's the principal thing that's provoking our suffering. 
Then we, it says negativity is shunned and joy is found in virtue. Okay, what we do is we figure out, oh, I'm suffering now because of actions I've done in the past. I don't like this suffering. Yeah, so I have to stop doing those same negative actions that are causing my present suffering. And then if you're unsure of what you did, yeah, uh, read uh, Wheel of Sharp Weapons, yeah, in the book uh, Good Karma, yeah, or just think of what other people are doing that's disturbing you, and then ask yourself, have I done that to other people? And a lot of what we may have done in this life, much to our own chagrin, and some of it we may not have done in this life, but certainly in previous lives we have. So again, there's no reason to be arrogant thinking I've never made other people feel the way that I am feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Along with what you're just speaking of, um, I thought yesterday that the United Farm Workers Union had invited a, 100 senators from our Congress to come out to California and spend one day with our farm workers to try to get them to understand the preciousness and the value that they have. Yeah. Senator Cory Booker and a senator from uh, California, the only two that responded to their invitation out of 100 senators. And oh. they went and spent the day with them. And just, you know, there's a report on what they saw. Wow. To try to encourage how valuable they are for our yeah. country. Right. Let those senators go and pick the, t- the tomatoes. Yeah. I wanted to show them the, the environmental, the hardships, uh, what they have to deal with. Only two. Yeah. Yeah. Cory Booker's good. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he becomes president one day. He's good. Um, but I'm not talking about politics. This is dumb talk. <laughs> I'm just daydreaming. <laughs> out loud okay so negativity is shunned and joy is found in virtue so then when we re- try, really try and act virtuously we have a happy feeling because we know we're creating the cause of happiness for ourselves and for everybody else yeah. 22 as I do not become angry with the great sources of suffering such as jaundice then why be angry with animate creatures? They too are un, are provoked by conditions. So here we're moving into a different section where Shantideva is going to be talking about how the things that we think make us suffer, yeah, do not have the intention to make us suffer. They are things that arise, there's merely conditioned events and conditioned people. Okay, so he's using the analogy. You have a great source of suffering, such as jaundice. Everybody, anybody here had hep besides me? Okay, lucky you. Let me tell you about it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I was living in Nepal, 
at the monastery. And uh, I started getting really sick. And then I, I don't know how we figured out it was hep. There's a few signs of hep. Your, your poop starts going white. You, be, you get angry and not, not totally white, not like this, you know, but, um, you, you really get angry and, uh, you have absolutely zero energy. Okay. So, you know, when you have hep, or when I had hep, I, you know, I couldn't move. That's, that's where the story of how I learned Wheel of Sharp Weapons comes from, because I was lying in the old dormitory that they had at Copan, yeah, that I've told you about, where the ceiling of one room is the floor of the other room, and there's space between the slats, yeah, and where you, the toilet is down the hill, um, with a pit with two two bar uh, boards across it, yeah. And so, I mean, I had zero energy. And then finally, some friends took me down to uh, to Kathmandu to go to the uh, Ayurvedic doctor. Western medicine doesn't know what to do with hep, but Ayurvedic medicine is quite good, and Tibetan medicine also. So. Uh, you know, I got some medicine, and then in those days, now there's lots of cars and taxis and things that go up the hill to Copan. In those days, uh-uh. And even if there were one, I couldn't afford it. So I was coming back with my friend. And Copan Hill, for those of you who've been there, it's it's a nice hill. Yeah, and there was no way I was going to walk up that. I mean, I couldn't walk up that hill. So one of my friends carried me on his back up that hill. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is illustrate when he says great sources of suffering such as jaundice. Yeah. Oh yeah, the the big sort the big symptom is yeah, your eyes turn yellow. Duh. Okay. So um yeah, if you don't become angry with the great sources of suffering such as jaundice. Okay. Now it was very easy for me to assume that I got hep because the people in the kitchen didn't wash the fruits and vegetables well. What? In Nepal, back then I expected people to have good hygiene. I expected the water to to not to be pure and not cause illness. I, you know, what, what was I thinking? I, I knew what sanitation was like there. So, you know, I, I toyed with the idea of getting mad at the people in the in the kitchen. Um, but most of them were little monks, you know. We had one cook, a really nice Nepali man, really, really nice. And then all these little monks. And what, I was going to get mad at them because they didn't wash stuff well? No, it's like I had hep. Just get over it, children. Okay, but the point that he's making here is when you're sick with something like that, nobody intended to make you sick. The, the cook, the little monks, nobody said, we want to make, I wasn't children at that time, I was cherry, um, previous life. Uh, so, um, you know, we want to make her sick, so we're going to, like, 
not wash the stuff very well. Well, maybe rub our hands on a little bit of poo and then touch the vegetables before we put them out. Um, okay, so nobody was thinking we want to cause suffering. Yeah. And so, you know, when you get something like hep, it's like, you know, who are you going to blame for causing you suffering? Nobody had that intention whatsoever. Yeah. When you stub your toe and your toe, your toe hurts, or you get a canker sore in your mouth, or, you know, all these kinds of things, who, who are you going to blame? Nobody else made it happen. Nobody else had the intention. So we don't get mad at those things. So what Shantideva is saying here, okay, if I don't get mad at inanimate things that cause great suffering, like hep and all those other stuff, all those other things, then why be angry with animate creatures? Yeah, with animals, with human beings, because they too are provoked by conditions. Okay. In other words, both the disease is, comes about due to external conditions and animate people, if they do something that's harmful, they're acting under, they're being provoked by conditions. Now we could say, but they don't like me and they have the intention of making me miserable. Okay, even that, okay, Shantideva is going to dispute that they had the, an unconditioned motivation to cause us harm. So the next few verses go on. Although they are not wished for, these sicknesses arise. Likewise, although they are not wished for, these disturbing conceptions forcibly arise. Okay? So the sicknesses aren't wished for. When our mind is overpowered by, dis- by afflictions, yeah, nobody, I didn't wish for my afflictions to arise. And if I'm blaming someone else, for causing me harm because they have an afflicted mind, like they're angry at me. You know, their afflictions arose in their mind due to causes and conditions. Their afflictions did not have the thought, I am going to arise and cause somebody harm. Okay. Remember earlier in this, in this uh, chapter, uh, Shantideva was saying that what is what is the fuel for uh, for um, anger? What was the fuel? Yeah, an unhappy, discontent mind. Okay, does that mind have the intention of I'm going to get angry and retaliate? No, it's just a mind with a certain mental factor. Okay. Did it arise out of it? Did the unhappy mind arise out of its own choice? Did your mind say, I think I'm going to be unhappy right now and then make yourself unhappy? And then once you were unhappy, did the unhappiness say, 
I'm going to make myself angry. No, all these things are conditioned phenomena. They do not operate under their own power. When we uh, go to refute inherent existence, yeah, one of the synonyms for inherent existence is existing under its own power. Thinking that something, Jeffrey also uses the term self-instituting, okay, or existing from its own side. In other words, from its own side, from our own, you know, the uh, mental state that we're afflicted by, yeah, that mental state or some other mental state had the intention to make that angry mental state arise. Yeah. I mean, when you get angry, do you say, does any part of your mind or anything say, I'm going to get angry right now? This is a good time to get angry. (laughs) I have nothing better to do today. Let's get angry. Okay. Or does anger just arise because the condition of the unhappy mind is there? Do you say, I'm going to be unhappy, or does the unhappy mind arise simply because of its own causes and conditions? Okay? So what we're looking at is that many things, many mental states that we do not wish for and that other people do not wish for in themselves arise forcefully even though we don't want them, and even though other people don't want them. And how, what makes them arise? Con- causes and conditions. It's not under their own power, not under their own choice. Okay, so 24 says, Without thinking I shall be angry, people become angry with no resistance. So think about it, you know, think about it in terms of yourself. When you've gotten really outraged, okay, did did um, you think I'm going to get outraged and then get outraged? When you've been jealous, do you think, oh, I'm going to get jealous? <laughs> no. Yeah. Why does anger arise? Why does jealousy arise? With no resistance in our mind. You know, the lack of resistance is simply because of habit. You know, we've never learned to look differently at the situation. So in the same way, other people who are angry, other people who are upset, other people who are in a bad mood or projecting junk or, you know, anxious, or don't want to be in the same room with us, or, you know, whatever it is, okay? Their mental state, they did not have the intention to have that mental state. That mental state arose due to its own causes and conditions. Okay? So in the same way that we don't get mad at a disease that arose from causes and conditions. Let's not get angry at other people 
for their afflictions that arose from causes and conditions. And similarly, let's not get angry at ourselves when our afflictions arise. Okay. So without thinking, I shall be, uh, I shall be angry. People become angry with no resistance. And without thinking, I shall produce myself. Likewise, anger itself is produced. So once you're angry, angry, anger doesn't say, I'm going to produce anger. I'm going to produce my present state of anger. You know, you're already angry. What, what exists in the now, in the present, cannot be reproduced, you know. And whatever it was that caused that anger, you know, was simply a condition. It did not have the intention to cause us or anybody else angry. Anger. Yeah. So think of it. This is good to do in your meditation. Remember the fate. You remember when you've been with somebody who's angry. And how distasteful that is. And sometimes how scary it is. Yeah? And then remember what that, that person's face looked like. And then think, that person had no intention of becoming angry. They had no intention to treat me like this. Whatever harm they did to me, it wasn't like they had the intention to do it. They were under the control of other factors. And those other factors, you know, it might have been their own suffering. It might have been other afflictions that they have. But you've you've often heard me say, you know, when we think about the people who have harmed us, that they must be suffering immensely to do what they've done and think that, you know, harassing or violating or abusing or killing somebody is going to make them happy. They must be very, you know, in a lot of suffering. So when we see that, we see, you know, that person didn't have the idea They didn't say, oh, I'm so miserable. I think I'm going to go out and and abuse somebody else. I'm so miserable. I think I'm going to go out and get angry at somebody else. That's going to make me real happy. So you see, whatever motivated somebody to do something harmful was not that they coming from anything that had that intention. Yeah? It was coming from some previous cause and condition, which itself was coming from a previous cause and condition. Okay? So we're always looking for somebody to blame. Somebody who has the intention to harm. Because we think, if they have the intention to harm, then my blaming them is suitable. And what Shandideva is saying, no, it's not. Because they really didn't have the intention to harm. They were pushed, pushed 
by causes and conditions. Have you ever in your life, you know, like those times when you're in the middle of doing something and you go, or you're in the middle of saying something and you go, why in the world am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Have you been, ever been in that situation? Like something's coming out of your mouth and one part of your mind is going, what in the world? This is just going to cause harm. This is going to make me and other people miserable. Why don't I just shut up and the words keep coming out? Yeah? When that happens, do you have the intention to dump all that on somebody else? No. Why is it happening? Causes and conditions. A lot of familiarity with that kind of behavior. A lot of distorted thinking that somehow acting out is going to fulfill my needs. Yeah? And so what what we're getting at is our strategies for coping with our own suffering and discomfort don't work. Okay? (laughs) And the other person who's doing something to us, who's thinking that they're going to be happy by doing, by harming somebody else, their strategy for being happy does not work. Yeah? You know, you look at, in in Florida, yeah, that state that's in a lot of the news a lot. So, some people, uh, there was one guy who was a sharpshooter in the Marines, and he went to, uh, now I'm going to tell you, I better not tell you this story, because some of you are going to get terrified and afraid and Let me think of another story. (laughs) No, seriously, I know some of you very well. I don't want to set anything off. But look, why am I self, uh, what is it? Censoring. Censoring. Why am I self-censoring? Because I know certain people have very strong habitual energy to react in a certain way, you know, And I don't want to set them off because I know they don't have the intention to be set off. And besides, it's I'm really miserable when they get set off. (laughs) They're miserable and I'm miserable. So let's not go there. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, do you self-censor sometimes? Okay. Anyway, so you think you think of somebody who's uh, oh okay. So the people on January sixth, yeah, the ones who who were going in and beating up the cops and pe- uh, spraying pepper spray on the cops, and that one cop that they you know his he- head was stuck in the doorway, and they were trying to pull off his helmet. I mean, he must have been it. In excruciating pain. Do you think that the guy who who did that thought early that morning when he woke up, oh, 
you know, okay, something's gonna, we're gonna, something's gonna happen at the Capitol today, but I think I'm gonna go torment some cop. Or did that guy just have, was he pushed by his own hostility, his own wrong conceptions, you know, his own, uh, even if he did have that intention, oh, I'm going to go get some cop, I'm going to cause some suffering, you know, even if he did have that conscious intention, did, you know, was is did he himself produce that con- intention, or does that in, was that intention produced by his <laughs> namtok, his other afflictions, his distorted way of thinking? Okay, so what we're getting at is really in people's hearts they don't wish to cause harm; they are overwhelmed by their own distorted conceptions, by their own afflictions. And they're pushed by that energy to act out in the same way when we're speaking and one part of our mind is saying, I should shut up, we're being pushed by that previous energy too. Okay? So can we look at other people and have some compassion for them? Yeah? And especially think, if I had grown up like them, I might have those same causes and conditions in my mind that would make me act that way. Yeah, that's scary. But it enables you to have some compassion for those people. You know, how people are not really out there to get us. And I think that's why NVC works. Yeah. Because really, you know, like that story of of the woman who used NVC in a really difficult situation. Why did the NVC work? Because at the root of it, at the bottom of it, that person really didn't want to cause harm. He was being pushed. Okay, and then verse 25, this kind of sums it up. All mistakes that occur and all the various kinds of wrongdoing arise through the force of conditions. They do not govern themselves. Yeah? So all the mistaken actions, all the sufferings that other people cause us or we cause them, All the sufferings that anybody experiences arise through the force of conditions. Nobody says, you know, it's sunny outside today, I think I want to suffer. Yeah, it's sunny outside today, I think I want to clobber somebody. Okay, So this this is a really important one because it, it helps us you know, in our understanding of emptiness, in our understanding of dependent arising. Okay, and so to not see people and actions as inherently existent as as if they govern themselves and they make themselves happen and as if they are independent of all other conditions in the world. 
when everything is so interdependent. I really see that, Shanti Dave, this is all about working with our minds. And so while we're working on that, let's say the January 6th insurrectionists, as far as accountability for all of us who are propelled by these mm -hmm. afflictions, still the accountability is there, but how we relate and mm -hmm. how we hold that mm -hmm. becomes the profound practice if we could all hold every, each other in this purview. Right. So th thinking like this doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. You know, we are responsible for our own actions. Other people are responsible for their actions. But the way we hold it, just like you said, is different. We don't hate the person. We don't want to take revenge on the person. But we realize, yeah, that by because they are uncontrolled, they're under the control of their previous habits, they need some kind of external control so that they don't harm others. Yeah? So there you see, you know, the whole way our prison system works, that punishment, you know, I, I wonder, you know, how much of this comes from theistic religions? Yeah? That punishment, when you misbehave, you get punished. And that somehow punishment is going to make you change. Now, in some conditions, it can make you change your behavior. But it doesn't necessarily make you change your mindset. And often, it doesn't make people change their behavior because they, get e they feel even more misunderstood and, more, and angrier. And they lash out even more. Yeah. So accountability, yes, but you can be accountable without hating somebody, without wanting to inflict suffering, without wanting revenge. Hmm? And if you can hold people accountable with that kind of attitude, and they have that feeling that the system was working for them instead of the system working against them. You know, like if prisons had more programs to, to give people skills, yeah, and if all the correction officers weren't bent on inflicting harm, but show ref if the staff in a prison showed respect to the inmates, it, it would be a different ballgame. You still have to hold them accountable. Yeah. But tossing, you know, somebody in as a juvenile for life without parole is just ridiculous. I'm struggling a bit with this notion of no intention, maybe because the teachings on karma are so much about what is your intention, right? And there's a whole, there's a difference between accidentally squishing a bug versus Cockroaches are the devil, I'm going <laughs> to get rid yeah. of them. But maybe hearing you teach, you're saying that even that idea, when I'm afraid of cockroaches and must kill them, that is the product of habitual wrong thinking. Yeah. Right? But there is still the intention that's going to create karma, though, because I chase oh, after right. the thing and make sure it's killed. Yeah, yeah, you're still creating karma. 
but you're not thinking, you know, you're, why are you creating that karma? Why are you terrified of cockroaches? Yeah, because of distorted way of thinking. You know, if you looked and you, and you said, they're sentient beings who want to be alive just like me. Yeah. And there's a way to trap them and escort them out somewhere else. Yeah. Then you wouldn't feel so trapped by the situation. Like you have to freak out. Yeah, I did do it. Remember? <laughs> Yeah, we have cockroach stories and uh, spiders that are this big stories. And yeah, in India, yeah, we had, you know, somebody who would come and visit us and spider this big. Yeah. And one day he was on the, uh, in the sink in the bathroom on the knob for the sink with his legs kind of all around it. Good thing no, none of us wanted to wash our hands then. <laughs> yeah. Is a sense of duty a conditioned phenomena? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is conditioned. <laughs> yeah. Everything is conditioned. Yeah. So we, we do have some choice in how we condition ourselves. But our having that choice is also conditioned. Yeah. Nothing thinks to itself, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Responsibility is distorted ways of thinking. <laughs> it's our own responsibility in the sense that only we can change our own distorted ways of thinking. Okay. We change things for the better if we're not in control of those actions that may cause ourselves and others suffering. We, there is no independent I sitting there cause, making all this happen, okay? It's all caused by causes and conditions. Causes and conditions don't mean things are fated and predetermined. Because things are produced by causes and conditions, another cause can be generated. Another thought can be generated that would change that whole thing and redirect it in another area. Okay. Mm -hmm. So can we choose compassion or does it just arise when right thinking? We have to practice meditation on all the reasons why compassion is something realistic and beneficial. And we have to practice generating compassion. And in that way, compassion will arise. We can't just sit there and say, I'm going to be compassionate. And then incredible compassion arises. We have to create the causes for it. Okay? And that's what you know, practicing the path is about. It's about creating the causes for the kinds of mental states and qualities that we want to have. You know, that's why His Holiness says, praying is not enough. Yeah, you have to create the causes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
So the causes are there. The conditions are right for our afflictions to push us, but our practice is choosing how we will make the next cause by how we react. Question. Okay. So we're there, we're prime, we're angry, we're ready to attack. Now, we also have lots of uh, times from the past where we have succeeded in tempering our own anger and not acting it out. So there's those causes and conditions from the past, too. We do have some habit with acting in the reverse way. Yeah, if those causes and conditions ripen at that time, yeah, then we can refrain ourselves from acting out. This is why, you know, we create a new habit. Because remember, meditation comes from the same verbal root as to familiarize or habituate. That's what we're doing. We're creating new kinds of causes and conditions. When they become very strong, yeah, then even the old ones are starting to arise. These ones can also arise and interfere. Okay? I know it's hard to understand because we are so used to thinking that, you know, there is some independent entity that makes everything happen. Yeah, and there's no independent entity. It's just a bunches of causes and conditions. And this goes so much against our feeling of there's a real me inside here, you know? And if there were that real me, then when we say, I'm not going to eat that 16th piece of chocolate, we should be able to control ourselves. But we can't. Yeah, because that that sense of me, there's nobody there who, who can control the aggregates. They're controlled by other causes and conditions. Yeah, but we always like to think there's, there should be one independent, permanent force that can intercede. You know, and this is the idea behind a creator God, too. You know, there's some independent, permanent thing that can intercede and affect everything and make it happen. Even the, the river's all going this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, and then something else totally unrelated can come in and make the river go the other way. Okay? Now, during the, during Ida, yeah? For the Mississippi River, for a little bit, it started to reverse. That happened because of causes and conditions. It didn't happen because the Mississippi said, well, I've been flowing down towards the Gulf, but I'm tired. I want to go the other direction now, you know. And so it did that for, I don't know, a few yards, and then other causes and conditions changed, and the river went the way it usually did. Yeah. So it, we have to think about this because it's very different than how our usual habitual way of thinking that things exist inherently. Yeah, thank you. You um, 
spoke about also of course how to forgive in that whole thing um mm -hmm. and um how to work even with um traumatic experiences um mm -hmm. acknowledging so that uh it uh will take time. Mm -hmm. I want to share something that uh, one of our UU um, members shared with us um, uh, two weeks ago uh, from, yeah, it's actually from a movie, but uh, the saying is very, very nice. Mm -hmm. When you don't forgive someone, it's like holding them prisoner. When there's unforgiveness, no one is free. You have to guard your prisoner. So the only way for you to be free is to free him or her. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. To, um, yeah, to um, forgive those um, who have harmed you, even great harm. Um, yeah, you free yourself. And um, exactly. the practice is through reflecting upon the penalizing emptiness and compassion. Yeah. yeah. I, I have to come to this again and again, too, about the tremendous, of having some tremendous humility about the power of conditioning. That we are, that we are so not aware even of what our conditions are. And that's yep. part of the unraveling. Yep. And it's sometimes embarrassing and sometimes it, but, mm -hmm. but to, but to try to stay humble in that regard and just recognize this is actually, um, like the doorway mm -hmm. to being able to change them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Says it can get mind boggling, but the explanations tonight are very helpful. Thank you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so with that, we'll stop this evening. Did you have a question or you were just. No, okay.